Well, I'm not waiting. We need to give me <laughs> Daniel chapter 2. Okay, this morning we're actually going to be starting on talking about the actual the kingdom that is going to come. We're going to be dealing with the kingdom for the next two, three, four weeks, uh, depending on where, uh, a lot of it's going to depend on where questions take us. What I want to do now, starting in Daniel chapter 2, looking to the, uh, the dream and the interpretation dream that is a is actually a prophecy concerning the end times, the last things. Uh, and so I want to start there, and we're going to pick it up. This week we're going to be doing chapter 2, the prophecy in chapter 2. Next week, chapter 7, and the week after that, Daniel chapter 9. And then we'll see where we go from there. And um, we're going to start laying out the time frame now for all of this. Okay, and uh, somewhere along the line, probably right after Daniel 9, we're going to pick up, okay, where does the church fall into all this? Because everything, everything we're going to be looking at, it points, it's Israel-specific in its focus. Okay, and uh, we want to then come in later and show how the church fits into all that, where they fit into all that. Do they fit in? Well, stay tuned. We'll see. Okay, Daniel chapter 2. By way of introduction, Nebuchadnezzar, a very prominent figure in um, biblical and human history. I'm going to read the first 11 verses of of chapter 2 just to set a a context for us. And um, here we go. Now, in the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams, and his spirit was troubled, and his sleep left him. In other words, this dream they had, he knew, he just he perceived that this was something extremely important, and it meant something. It meant something so big that he lost his sleep over this thing. And Nebuchadnezzar was not the kind of guy that was deeply troubled by stuff. This was a man that, uh, as far as he was concerned, controlled his own destiny. The, the one thing that riled him the most is when somebody didn't, do what he said the first time, <laughs> okay? That was the kind of guy Nebuchadnezzar was, the, the, ultimate, the ultimate dictator. Then the king, verse 2, gave orders to call in the magicians, the conjurers, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans to tell the king his dreams. So they came in and stood before the king. And the king said to them, I had a dream, and my spirit is anxious to understand the dream. The Chaldeans, now the Chaldeans are like the premier group, or of that overall group of magicians and sorcerers, sorcerers, fortune tellers, scientists in those days, okay? Um, Kind of like some of the scientists in our day. Um, Then the Chaldeans spoke to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. That was a standard thing. When you walked in before the king, O king, live forever, you know? Long live the king, right? "Tell Tell the dream to your servants, and we will declare the interpretation. The king answered and said to the Chaldeans, The command from me is firm. If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, you will be torn limb from limb, and your houses will be made a rubbish heap. 
But if you declare the dream and its interpretation, you'll receive from me gifts and a reward and great honor. Therefore, declare to me the dream and its interpretation. So in other words, he couldn't remember? He couldn't remember the dream. All he knew, it was something very dreadful to look at. And he knew it had something to do with himself. That much he knew, and it, it bothered him. And it was so important. And what, I think what this points out to us, too, that Nebuchadnezzar, now, back in history, Nebuchadnezzar was an extremely brilliant individual. Okay, in his day, I mean, he would be considered a genius. Matter of fact, it was Nebuchadnezzar that developed the Hanging Gardens of Babylon, one of the wonders of the world. Nebuchadnezzar is the guy that developed that, okay? And so he wasn't, we're not talking about the village idiot here. I mean, this guy was extremely intelligent, okay? He, he, he knew what he was talking, he was not, he was extremely smart. Verse 8, this is where it really starts getting good. The king answered and said, I know for certain that you are bargaining for time. Inasmuch as you have seen that I, that the command from me is firm that if you do not make the dream known to me, there is only one decree for you. For you have, and again, and that decree is, you're toast, okay? You're gone. For you have agreed together, see, here he is. Now he's con, con, uh, convicting them in his own, he's con, uh, saying, telling me, you guys are going to conspire. For you have agreed together to speak lying and corrupt words before me until the situation has changed. Therefore, Tell me the dream that I may know that you can declare, me, declare to me its interpretation. Now, the Chaldeans are getting a little nervous about this time. It says, the Chaldeans answered the king and said, there is not a man on earth who could declare the matter for the king inasmuch as no great king or ruler has ever asked anything like this of any magician, conjurer, or Chaldean. Wrong move. They should, have, they should know Nebuchadnezzar better than this. I mean, here Nebuchadnezzar accused them already of conspiring, right? Uh, and then he goes, there is, no, there is no great king or ruler who have ever asked such a thing. Nobody expect, you know, nobody. Then they keep going. Moreover, the thing which the king demands is difficult. <laughs> yeah. And, and there is no one else. I love this. Can you see in this the sovereignty of God working? Working in their speech, everything. God is just setting up for Daniel to come in. He's just setting the stage for Daniel. Verse 11, there's no one else who could declare to the king except God's, whose dwelling place is not with mortal flesh. Because of this, the king became indignant and very furious and gave orders to destroy all the wise men of Babylon. That's it. You're gone. Destroy all the wise men of Babylon. We're going to stop there and then move forward. Now, know this, that Daniel, if you go back and read the book, which you can't do, but in studying the book of Daniel, remember, Daniel was taken captive. Okay? And three friends of his were also. So Daniel... Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you heard of these are the three men that wound up in the fiery furnace down the road. Okay? These men were placed in that group. They were, you know, they were understudies, they were learners, they were that part, but they were placed in this group because they formed, they scored very high on their testing. Let's put it that way. And uh, 
they were in that group, so they would be earmarked for destruction as well. I mean, Nebuchadnezzar, I mean, um, he, was, he was beyond uh, reasoning at this point. So he basically, his, his thought was, you guys lie to me, just wipe them all out. They're no good. Uh, well, he was right there. They really were no good. But now let's move forward to verse 25 of chapter 2. We'll pick it up there. Now, in comes Daniel. This is, in comes Daniel. This is what, again, this is what God was setting everything up for. Verse 25 through 30. The king answered and said to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, that was the, the name that the uh, uh, Babylonians gave him. When, they, when the, the captives came in, they changed all their names. They were basically taking their hair. The best way to, to take over a person and make them be like you, destroy their heritage. Destroy their heritage. Does that sound familiar? Take away their heritage. Make them into something else. So part of that was changing the name. And then they would just indoctrinate them into Babylonian culture. So now, Daniel answered before the king and said, as for the mystery about which the king has inquired, I love, you got to love Daniel for this. Daniel, being a man of God, being a prophet of God, and if you go back there, being specially gifted by God, we learned that in the early, earlier chapter as well, stood before the king, very young man. Remember, Daniel, when he was taken captive, 14, 15, 16, somewhere in there. So here's a man that's still under 20, standing before the most powerful man in the world at that time, just speaking. I mean, what, a, what, a, what confidence this man had. And I love it, because now Daniel, knowing the answer, knowing the dream and its interpretation, stood there with the confidence of God, and, and now he was setting up to give glory to God. I know this has, you know, this is a little bit different with the problem, but I can't go through this without saying it. <laughs> this is so important to notice that um, that's what Daniel's doing here. I'll pick it up again in verse uh, 27. Daniel answered before the king and said, As for the mystery about which the king has inquired, neither wise men, conjurers, magicians, nor diviners are able to declare it to the king. However, there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, and he has made known to the king, to King Nebuchadnezzar, what will take place, catch this next little phrase, in the latter days. In the latter days. That's one of those terms that is looking out to the consummation. Okay, it's, it's not just what's coming next in history, although that is part of this. But what is going to happen in the latter days? Okay, You'll, we'll, We're going to see this term and a lot like that. In the latter days, end times, all that. Um, afterwards, sometimes it comes out that way. This was your dream and the visions in your mind while on your bed. Okay. As for you, O king, while on your bed, your thoughts turn to what would take place in the future. Daniel's not only telling what the dream was, he's given him a rundown of what he was thinking before he went to sleep and got the dream. 
Okay, but isn't that like God? Let's, let's just go one better. <laughs> yeah, that's what's going on. Let's go one better. You were thinking about what's going to take place in the future. You know, in the latter days. You want to talk future? We'll talk future. <laughs> okay, we're going way out there. Remember, Daniel was taken captive in 605 B.C. So this is like maybe 603, something like that. Um, so, and he reveals mysteries, and he says, take place in the future, and he who reveals mysteries has made known to you what will take place. But as for me, this mystery has not been revealed to me for any wisdom residing in me. See, Daniel's making it perfectly clear. What you're getting is not coming from me and my marvelous intelligence. He's not going there like so many do. He's saying, this is nothing about me. This is not about me at all, me knowing something, me being good at something. This is not that in the other, that it, or in any other living man, but for the purpose of making the interpretation known to the king and that you may understand the thoughts of your mind. That's quite an introduction, but I think it had to be done. All right. Now, the dream. You, O king, verse 31 to 35, the dream itself. You, O king, were looking and behold, there was a single great statue. That, that statue, which was large and of extraordinary splendor, was standing in front of you, and its appearance was awesome. The head of that statue was made of fine gold and its breast and its arms of silver and its belly and its thighs of bronze. Its legs of iron and its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. You continued until a stone was cut out without hands and struck it and struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay and crushed them. The iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver and the gold were were crushed all in the same time. And it became like chaff from the summer threshing floors, and the winds carried them away so that not a trace of them was found. But the stone that struck the statue became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. And that's where the, the view of the latter days is shooting. When that stone that struck the statue became a great mountain. Remember the word, we've seen that before, that term mountain in prophetic terms, apocalyptic terms, mountains refer to nations, okay? Just like horns refer to leaders, okay? That term horns often refers to leaders, okay? This is one of those terms that they, it pops up in a, in a variety of prophecies. Okay, let's back up a little bit into verse... 31, where it says the statue is great. Okay, that great just literally means enormous, colossal. I'm in our notes now. Uh, the awesome, which means it was just awesome. There's a, there's a word that's been ruined in the English language. <laughs> but the word awesome um, is translated from the Hebrew. And when awesome is translated from the Greek, it means something that is overwhelming, just Breath, it, literally something that takes your breath away. It is just awe-inspiring, terrifying, or dreadful. Okay, and that's how the word in English used to ref, uh, used to uh, reflect things like that. You know, it's something so awesome people fainted. You know, I mean that's what the word 
Now it's like, oh, wasn't that an awesome game? No. No, it wasn't. It might have been a good game. might have been very interesting. might have been fun to watch, but not awesome. <laughs> Did anybody fall out of the stands of it? No. Well, except a few that are, you know, hitting the juice. But other than that, no. <laughs> you know, no, it wasn't. It's, that's, the word is misused. That's kind of a bugaboo with me. But I hide it well. <laughs> you would never know. <laughs> <laughs> and count your blessings for it. <laughs> okay, the single great statue, where it comes in there, that single great statue represents the Gentile domination and the various uh, nations' uh, domination of Israel, beginning with the Babylonian captivity and obviously the nation of Babylon, and ending with the establishment of God's kingdom at the second coming of Christ thus fulfilling what Jesus spoke about, and we're going to look at this later in his Olivet Discourse. Uh, let's look at Luke 21. Keep your finger here in Daniel. We'll be back. But Luke 21, <clears throat> we'll be going through the Olivet Discourse eventually. You, you can't ignore that passage uh, when you're talking about prophecy. Matter of fact, there's three, three places you've got to go. When you're talking about prophecy... Daniel's prophecies, critical. Daniel, our Lord's Olivet Discourse, that's Matthew 24, 25, uh, what is it? Mark 13, Luke 21. Okay, that sermon, that great, actually it's not a great sermon, it was a lesson that he gave his disciples when they asked him a question, what are the signs that you're coming? Boy, did he tell them. Luke 21, 24 says, speaking, now we're, takes us in the tribulation period here when it says, and they will fall by the edge of the sword and will be led captive into, they're speaking about the nation, uh, will be led captive into all nations and Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles will be fulfilled. Nothing's changed. Israel is still dominated by Gentile nations. Gentile meaning non-Jewish. Surrounded by Arabs, hated by most nations. Humanly speaking, if it wasn't for the United States right now, the United States is the nation I believe God is using to preserve Israel in its present state. Okay? But um, virtually every other nation, and, and many in our nation, could care less. Matter of fact, I guarantee you there are politicians in our government that wish Israel would go away because in their minds it would solve a lot of problems, a lot of foreign policy problems. Look at Romans 11. Romans 11. Matter of fact, we'll be looking at, in, when we start talking about the relationship between Israel and the church, Romans 9, 10, and 11 have much to say about that. I don't know if they're going to get into that that much on Wednesday nights, but we're going to at least get into that part of it here. Romans eleven twenty five, which says, <clears throat> first let's pick it up at verse yeah eleven twenty five and, and uh, twenty six. For I do not want you, brethren, to be uninformed of this mystery, lest you be wise in your own estimation 
that a this is in, this is important that a partial hardening has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. The fullness of the Gentiles is another of saying the time of the Gentiles. Okay, and thus all and thus all Israel will be saved. Just as as is written, the deliverer will come out from from Zion. He will remove the ungodliness from Jacob, and and this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. We're going to get into all that and the verse and the and the uh, Ezekiel's being quoted there. And when again when they're talking in the context of Daniel or excuse me in the context of uh, Romans eleven, all Israel, and again and we've seen that already. We're talking about in the Davidic covenant the throne of david where the messiah will come sit upon the throne of david david and all of israel will be saved we saw remember ezekiel 26 remember the new covenant uh jeremiah 31 all of israel i will put take out their stony heart put in a heart of flesh they will all worship me that all of israel is the entire nation that will one day be the conglomerate of all of those Jews that have been saved throughout the ages and finally get into the kingdom. Matter of fact, um, look at Romans 9, 27. One last Gentile? And that's not true. I, I, no, I, th- there's going to be, when we get into the actual kingdom as it is going to be, in the millennial reign, the thousand-year reign, when we get into the kingdom established in that historical time frame, which is out there, <laughs> um, we'll get into that then. But there are, remember, at the end of that thousand-year reign, there's going to be people that are not saved. Matter of fact, they're going to rise up and rebel. So there are going to be Gentiles in that kingdom in that kingdom that's in that thousand-year reign, okay? The kingdom is existing today. It's just not on earth, okay? The kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, when you read those passages, begin a little sneak preview. It's referring to the same kingdom. Okay? Kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God. It's not, a, it's not a visible kingdom. The closest thing they're going to see to the kingdom of God now is the church, and the church isn't the kingdom per se. We are members of it, we are members of it, and um, everybody that's believed is a, everybody that believes is a member of the kingdom from the fall, all the way through the end of the, the whoever, all those people that are saved through all those generations, through all those thousands of years of history, are going to be part, are part of that kingdom. Everybody who's written in the Lamb's Book of Life is part of the kingdom. Everybody he chose for the foundation of the world is in that kingdom. Okay? And it's a, it's, it's almost like a mystical kingdom at this point, kind of like the church is the mystical body of Christ, as it's sometimes described. Okay? Um, but the visible kingdom is when Christ comes back and assumes the throne of David and rule over the entire earth from Jerusalem. In verse, um, back there, all right. Did that answer it, hopefully? As time goes by, maybe it'll come, because we're going to talk about that a lot, those, those things, with all that. Where was it? Ah, 927, Romans 927. 
It's okay. I'm used to this. 927. Listen to Isaiah. (laughs) Isaiah cries out concerning Israel. Though the number of the sons of Israel will be as the sand of the sea, it is the remnant that will be saved. That remnant mentioned in 927 is the all Israel mentioned in chapter 11 of Romans. See that? And so just keep that thought. That's a good way to you can see that, you know, because that's me. Romans 9, 10, 11 is talking about, yes, salvation and a whole lot of super deep subjects. Um, that if you're interested in some of those, come on the Wednesday night, men, if you can. Um, because some of those are some, some heavy duty theology in Romans 9, 10 and 11. Trust me, big stuff, big stuff. I mean, this stuff, some of that stuff in Romans, especially in Romans 9, is so big and so heavy-duty, it's split churches. You want to be in on that. <laughs> Actually, you want to be in on that so you understand what it's saying, so, it, so you hear it someday, it just doesn't blow you out of the water, you know? Okay, back to Daniel chapter 2. Now, the statue... Uh, I'm not going to go through all this too much, but the statue, the head of gold, you notice the value of the metal decreases as you move down the statue. Um, the, distract, the statue is described in four parts, and we're going, to, we're going to get to that. And it's destroyed by the stone. The stone is an obvious representative, represents the Messiah. And we're going to... Go on page two. Let's just get to the interpretation, verses 36 to 45, and all those questions, if you have any, will be answered. Um, okay. The first part. Let's just read uh, 36 to 45. This is the dream now, which shall tell the, and tell the interpretation of the king. You, O king, are the king of kings. To whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power, the strength, and the glory. And wherever the sons of men dwell, of the beasts of the field, of the birds of the sky, he has given them into your hand and has, and has caused you to rule over them. You are the head of gold. You notice once again, Daniel giving glory to God. You know why you have this kingdom, Nebuchadnezzar? God gave it to you. It's the only reason you have this kingdom. God gave it to you guarantee that went right over Nebuchadnezzar's head. Neb did not get this one. It went right by him. And you'll see that if you read through the historical chapter, he picked, he learned about it. He learned to let, he learned all about it in chapter four, but right now, for now, it just went right, right by him. Gone. You are that head of gold. One guy, Saul, it was a, he was a true uh, monarch. Okay. You are that head of gold. And, Whatever you say goes. And he was the way they described here. These are described in terms describing him as the ultimate world ruler. Remember, the world was a lot smaller place in those days. And we're, we're talking a little, little bit in uh, hyperbole, uh, figures of speech. The next one going down. And the next one going down. And after you, there will arise another kingdom inferior to you than another third kingdom of bronze, which will rule over all the earth. Can, he's, he's mentioning two nations in real quick succession. Probably as a, um, 
a nicety to the king. I mean, he's talking to the king about the nation that's going to follow his nation. So he kind of blows right through the, <laughs> the next two. Oh, the next one after you is inferior. It'll, it'll, uh, it will rise another inferior to you, then, then another third. Well, we know from history and from chapter 7 that the kingdom following Babylon was the Medo-Persian Empire. And then following the Medo-Persian Empire was the Greek, Greek Empire, the Grecian Empire. Okay? And we'll, we'll talk about them in chapter 7 next week when they give us more detail and have more meaning. Now the final one, the fourth one, then there was a fourth. And this one represents, again, in, they're right in historical succession. Sure, there were other empires out in the world, okay? But these are the four that, have, that had major sway over the nation of Israel. Matter of fact, Israel was within the boundaries of all these nations, okay? They were dominated by these nations. The, four, the fourth one is Rome, the, uh, the nation uh, that was there when Christ walked the earth. Verse 40, then there will be a fourth kingdom as strong as iron, as much as it crushes and shatters all things. So like iron that breaks in pieces, it will crush and break all these in pieces. That was Roman. Maybe you've heard that term Pax Romana, Roman peace. You know, Rome kept the peace. You get out of line, you get crushed. And, and they kind of, they'll crush and say, are there any other opinions? And generally, nope. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it was kind of like huge, strong, powerful, and that's, that's how they were. And verse 41, and in that you saw the feet of toes, part of, now wait a minute. We're going to see that in chapter 7 too. There's, there's always something about this fourth nation, this fourth empire, that it always seems to be spoken of in two sections. We'll go back there. The iron. Iron, it breaks in pieces, verse 14. It breaks, it crushes, and it breaks all in pieces. And that you saw the feet and toes, partly of potter's clay and partly of iron. It will be a divided kingdom, but it will have, its, it will have the, in it the toughness of iron, inasmuch as you saw the iron mixed with common clay. And as the toes of the feet were partly iron and partly pottery, so some of the kingdom will be strong and part of it will be brittle. And in that you saw the iron mixed with common clay, they will, they will combine with one another in the, in the seed of men, but they will not adhere to one another, even as iron does not combine with pottery. So you see it's spoken of in two pieces. The legs of iron and then the feet of an iron and clay mix. To make a long story short, the legs of iron was the Rome that we see in history, the Rome that was around and had people in it like Caesar, Pontius Pilate, that Rome, that Rome that expanded the empire beyond even that of uh, the Grecian empire. And you see, each empire as they came got bigger and bigger in terms of land mass. Okay, and um, let's go to our, our notes here. <clears throat> um, verse 41 to 43, the final form of the, of the fourth empire, the feet and toes are spoken of separately from the legs. We saw that. 
It was a divided kingdom. It will be as uh, unified as the first form of the empire uh, to a degree. It won't be as un- it will not be as unified as that first form, but it will have the toughness of iron. It's, don't underestimate. It. This is the empire of the Antichrist. Okay, and we'll get into him later too. But this is that empire that's going to be around during the tribulation period, which we will also get into as we move down the road. Now, the final form of it is going to be a a ten nation confederacy and we're going to see that let's compare with daniel 7 give you a little sneak preview of next week but you kind of need it to understand what daniel here is talking about daniel 7 4 through 7 we'll get into greater detail next week and here he's talking about that same those those nations that were uh, being pointed to in daniel chapter 2 they're, bespoke, they're spoken up again, the same four in the same order and the same way. The first, okay, this is, these are creatures, beasts they're called, but we'll get to it again. The first was like a lion. It had the wings of an eagle, and I kept looking at it until its wings were plucked and it was lifted from the ground and made it stand on its feet like a man. Okay, that's Babylon. Five. Verse 5, and behold, another beast, a second one, rising up, resembling a bear, rising up on one side and had three ribs, mouth between his teeth, and devour much meat. Medo-Persia. We'll talk about that next week again, too, on that. We'll just find what that's talking about. The third, another like a leopard, which had on its back wings of a bird, and the beast was also had four heads, and dominion was given to it. Well, that's the Grecian Empire. Well, what's all that got to do? Come on back next week, we'll tell you. <laughs> I really, we really don't have time. <laughs> I mean, it's easy to get going on this thing because it's really intriguing stuff. But it shows, again, it shows God's sovereign hand over history. You know, so no matter what kind of ugliness we see around us, as God's people, you're in his hand. You are in his hand. Okay? And um, it's a good place to be. No, No offense to the king, but... My understanding of the Antichrist, he just ain't smart enough. I'll just put it that way. <laughs> Bless his heart. No, it's not. No, guaranteed. Okay. I remember, I remember way back, I remember it was Kissinger once too. So, you know, yeah, you know, don't forget him. You know, he's a false prophet perhaps, but not. Anyway, we see, how, see how easy it is to get off track here? With a little help from my friends, yes. <laughs> no, not really. <laughs> At least we're not little, not totally derailed anyway. Okay, verse 7 of Daniel 7. After this I kept looking in the night vision. Behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and, and terrifying, exceedingly strong, and had large iron teeth. It devoured and crushed and trampled down the remainder of with its feet, and it was a different from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. See the similarities? Ten toes, ten horns. Okay? Um, And while I was considering that, behold, the horns, another iron, a little one came up, and a monk, wow, a little one? We'll deal with him next week. But that's the Antichrist. We'll talk about him next week. All right. But see see how these keep, Daniel's prophecies just keep building and building. And building. We probably didn't have to do 
chapter 2, but I think it's just a good basis for it and just to show the consistency of God's prophetic word. It's consistent. The statue was consistent now with this dreadful beast. The ten toes, well, then there's ten horns, ten leaders. And we're going to see it's a ten-nation confederacy. Um, and it's not going to last as long as any of the preceding nations. He's going to have his, his little ride, but it's going to be a short trip. And then look at Revelation 13. Again, another place that needs to be considered when discussing the end times. Again, it's Daniel and uh, the Olivet Discourse, the book of Revelation, with little, little inputs from Isaiah, Jeremiah, Zechariah, and others. You know, and that's, that's your prophecy. Revelation 13, 1 through 4. And he stood on the sand of the seashore, and I saw a beast coming up out of the sea, having ten horns, and seven heads on his horns were ten diadems, that's crowns, diadems is a crown that a king would wear, um, and on his head, and, and on his heads were blasphemous names. The beast which I saw was like a leopard, and his feet like those of a bear, that's, that ring a bell? We hear something about leopards and bears and we're not at the zoo here. I mean, so, you know, it's, and the dragon gave him power and his throne great, had great authority. And I saw one of his head as if it had been slain and his fatal wound was healed and the whole earth was amazed and followed after the beast. And they worshiped the dragon because he gave his authority to the beast, and they worshiped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast who is able to wage war with him? Well, there's another picture of the Antichrist being the leader, and here again you've got the... And we'll deal with that when we get there. There's the ten horns with seven heads, which is kind of interesting, but we'll, it, there's a, we'll tie it back to the Old Testament prophecies, and that will actually make sense. you know. And the dragon gave him power, and in the preceding chapter 12 of Revelation we learn that the dragon is actually Satan himself so that tells us right there that the Antichrist will in fact be energized by Satan not just some run of the mill demon but Satan himself okay now we need to go back to Daniel 2 very quickly in the next couple of minutes because we're going to be back into this again because this is a theme this is where it's all going our savior jesus christ daniel 2 44 and 45 and in the days of those kings the god of heaven will set up a kingdom the god of heaven note that the god of heaven will set up a kingdom and will never be and it will and which will never be destroyed all other kingdoms human kingdoms will in fact be destroyed even ours it's not going to last forever. But it will, that's the kingdom itself, will endure forever. Inasmuch as you saw that stone that was cut out of the mountain without hands, and it crushed the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, the great God has made known to the king what will take place in the future. So the dream is true, and its interpretation is trustworthy. I want to take a look if we're in Daniel, if you just pop back to Psalm 118, and we're just going to read two or three little 
passages here. Verses 22 and 23. This one's one's quoted in Peter and other places. You want to know who that uh, stone that was cut without hands? Here it is. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This is the <clears throat> this is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eye. And then it and if you're a part of that kingdom, you can say this. Verse 24, this is the day which the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. You know why? Because we, the people of God, will not be those people that will be crushed by this stone. You see. That's, that's something to praise the Lord for, too. Look at Matthew 21. Matthew chapter 21. We'll be in some of the Matthew a lot, too, or, or at least touching in Matthew, because Matthew, more so than the rest of the Gospels, touches, speaks of the kingdom and kingdom principles and so forth. So Matthew 21, verses, uh, beginning of verse 42 Jesus said to them, Did you never read in the scriptures the stone which the builders rejected? This became the chief cornerstone. This came, this came about from the Lord, and, it's, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore I say to you, the kingdom of God, which will be taken away from you, will be given to a, it says a nation, or more correctly, a people, producing the fruit of it. Interesting point there. And when the chief priests and the Pharisees heard his parable, they understood he was speaking about them. Mm-hmm. This nation be given producing fruit. In other words, it's going to be taken away from you, Israel. Guess what? Given to the Gentiles. That's where the church is going to come in, and we're going to and days down the road. And they didn't understand that. But uh, again, when you talk about the kingdom, what is the kingdom of God? What is the kingdom of heaven? It's all of his people who are in subject, subjection to his rule by his grace. Okay? By his grace. And then finally, Romans, or Romans, 1 Peter chapter 2, and we'll end with this, 4 through 10. And coming to him as to the living stone, rejected by men, but choice and precious in the sight of God, you also, again, speaking to the church, you also, as, <clears throat> as living stones, are being built up into a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For this, is, for this is contained in Scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a choice stone, precious, a precious cornerstone, and he who believes in him shall not be disappointed. This precious value, then, is, is for you who believe. But for those who disbelieve... The stone which the builders rejected, this became the very cornerstone and a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense. For they stumble because they are dis- disobedient to the word, and this doom they will also be op- and to this doom they will also be an opponent. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For you, for, for you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received, you had not received mercy, now have received mercy. And that's the difference between us and them. 
We have no, like Daniel in interpreting that dream, we have no personal bragging rights. It's all the grace of God. And hey, to him be the glory, right? Let's end in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this day. We thank you for your word. We thank you that for your prophetic word, the Lord, that the encouragement it gives us as your people, knowing that our future is secure because you're in charge of it. We ask it in Jesus' name and for your glory. Amen.